Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I am Ron Young. I'm a ruling elder. Uh, It it becomes confusing because at one point in my past, I was a pastor for many years. Uh, When I came to Jacob's Well, I became a ruling elder, so technically I'm not a pastor, um, but it is what it is. Uh, It is my privilege to be able to come and speak today, though, on this 4th of July, where you'll go talk to your friends who all sang America the Beautiful or something, or God Bless America. We sang a Christmas song, and... And that was my, uh, my fault. I asked uh, David on Thursday, I think, hey, can we sing Joy to the World? Because it, it's from Psalm uh, 98. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Psalm 98. Uh, I'm going to read it and pray, and then we're going to launch into this, uh, this sermon. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your governance over us and our world. It is from you we acknowledge that salvation has come. It is your work and not ours. And those marvelous things you have done to save your people, we give you praise. Thank you for this psalm and for its reminder that salvation comes from you and that your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will come again to judge the living and the dead. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word today and that you would be pleased. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So a memorable August, uh, Saturday afternoon back in 1979, I, 
I heard that snicker. I was 12 years old, and uh, it was Little League. It was the championship game. Lawson's Market, my team, was playing Hillcrest Nursery. We actually had a, uh, we had a lead on uh, Hillcrest going into the seventh inning, which in Little League is the last inning. Hillcrest, the visiting team, though, scored two runs. We were excited because we were at the top of the batting order. Tommy Harper came up to bat, hit a, hit a single. We thought, okay, we're going to be able to come back. We ended up tying, going into uh, the extra innings. And fifth batter, which is going to lead off for us, was me. The visiting team, Hillcrest, in that extra inning, scored another two runs, so they're now two runs ahead. I'm up to bat. I'm nervous as all get out. I did go two for three earlier. I drew a walk. I was very relieved, to be honest. Keith Henderson, our catcher, came up next, sixth batter. He hit a single. I made it to third. He was out first. Very next pitch, he stole second. So we have the, the tying run on second base. Our seventh at bat came up. He struck out. Eighth at bat comes up, strikes out, strike, strikes out. Ninth batter comes up. His name's Steve. He's left-hander, first baseman. He can hit the ball really, really far if he hits it, <laughs> thus being the ninth batter. Uh, my coach, I know, had to make a tough decision whether he was going to try to pinch hit, but he's what we had. Steve comes up and takes this wallop of a hit uh, just just nailed it into the corner of uh, right field. Um, Steve runs as hard as he can, bless him, and gets all the way across, makes it safe to second, standing up. The cutoff throw is overthrown. They wave him on to third. Steve, in, uh, in probably the fastest sprint I've ever seen him does, makes it to third base safe. So our tying run has come in. Our winning run is on third base. Steve's uh, exhausted, he can't, uh, he can barely breathe. Coach calls a timeout, brings in Floyd Patterson. Floyd, named after the boxer, mind you, because he always reminded us of that. Floyd Patterson, 11th grade, or 11th, 11 year old, um, a goofy kid, always a goof, but he was the fastest guy on our team. We pinch hit, Floyd is there at third base. We're excited because Tommy Harper, our, our number one guy, he's been like four for four that day. He's up to bat. The very first pitch, Tommy Harper makes this monstrous swing like Reggie Jackson. If you were a kid growing up in the 70s, you know what I'm talking about. You got to take that really big, and he just crushed the thing right into the ground, and it, and it kind of dribbles along the first baseline. Tommy takes off. Floyd has just took off running. Uh, pitcher and, and uh, first baseman come running down. There's no play to first base. The pitcher grabs it, hucks it sidearm to the catcher. The catcher grabs it. We'd been telling Floyd, slide, slide. Floyd had started the slide and just miraculously at the last minute he pops up and does this weird kind of jump step over, lands on the plate as the catcher swings the, uh, uh, underneath him. He's safe. We win. The parents, and so by the way, this is the highlight of my baseball career. <laughs> the parents had already prearranged, just in case we won, a, a room at Shakey's Pizza. We all make it to Shakey's Pizza. They had already pre-ordered the pizza. 
We walk in, the quarter goes into the jukebox. For those who are young, that's our version of Spotify. <laughs> to play what song? We are the champions. We are the champions. My no time for losers, because we are the champions of the world. And we felt like it. We were champions of the world. Um, we came in, we're grabbing the peach. The coach gave us this great talk, because now we can go to the city tournament, by the way, which we won. Um, but we sat around talking. And the reason why I remember most of these facts, most of these stories, is because we recounted them over and over again to each other, right? We're, we're declaring the acts of Lawson's Market um, and the, the glorious act. The glorious act of, you know, Tommy went five for five that day and hit in the, the number one. We all talk about Tommy Harper and this. We talk about Steve and that crushing blow, even though he was like one for five. He crushed that sucker and, and brought in the tying run. And, uh, and of course, we all just talked and talked about the miraculous and most athletic thing I'd ever seen, and that is Floyd Patterson, um, and how he kind of stepped up from his slide to do this hop. It was incredible. And then Floyd made the admission. The reality is, is that he had bought some hubba bubba bubble gum. It was in his back pocket, and he didn't want to ruin it. <laughs> the, there's two things going on here, and that is, um, there's two kinds of praise. There's lots of different types of praise found in the Bible, but the two main kinds of praise are declarative praise and descriptive praise. Declarative praise is, is the primary way in which the people of God praise God, and that is by declaring the acts of God. By declaring the acts of God. Like we just, we sang, right? We, we sang today a song that declared the act of Jesus on the cross, right? We got into the nitty-gritty details. We didn't just say, well, he died and rose again, right? What day did he rise? On the third day. That's important. We're talking about the actual events of what Jesus did and went through in order to save us from our sins. We're declaring the acts of God, and that is how we are praising him, for what he did. In the act of, of praise, when we do that, what we're doing is we're putting the other on a higher pedestal, right? If I thank someone, so let's suppose, uh, you know, Dan gives me, you know, 10 bucks, and I go, thanks, Dan. You know, thank you. I give him his 10 bucks back when I'm done with it, you know, whatever, pay him back. And he goes, oh, thanks for returning it. There's, right, but, but if I sat here and I started declaring the, all the amazing things that Dan has done, right, in, uh, in, in planting the church and having a vision for churches planting churches and, and doing that, what I'm doing is I'm putting Dan at a different level, right? So when we praise God, we're not just giving him thanks for things. We're, we're, we're declaring his acts and showing that we are in a smaller position and he is in a greater position, Descriptive praise is a little different. Descriptive praise is describing what God is like, right? So, so when our baseball team comes into Shakey's Pizza and it's, we are the champions, my friends, that's describing who we are. We're champions, woo, but no one cares. No one cares, but when we talk about the mighty acts of Lawson's Market, that 
hit into right field into the corner to bring the two runs in, to, that Steve, this big, you know, first baseman lumbering around all the way to third base. Now, that's really cool. We talk about Floyd making this jump. Now, that's really cool. This kind of declarative praise, the acts of Lawson's market. Then, when we describe ourselves or we're described as champions, it makes sense. We were pretty, we were pretty cool back then. In the same way, descriptive praise happens a lot in the Bible, in the Psalms. It describes God as, as great. It describes, describes God as holy. It describes him as, um, as strong, as faithful. But all of these are in context of what he has done. It's, it's, it's descriptive praises in a vacuum. God has done things for his people. God has made the world. God has redeemed his people. God has acted, and declaring those acts, then we understand what it means that God is great, or that God is powerful, or that God is holy. This brings us to a point in our um, psalm. The psalmist says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, a new song. Well, what does a new song mean, right? It, it's interesting looking up, just you know, Googling new song and listen, looking at articles and stuff about people kind of guessing. Well, it means that God wants us to be creative and come up with a new idea or a new song or new, we need to have refreshing ourselves with new, all this kind of stuff would be really helpful if they studied scripture and uh, <laughs> the meanings behind it. It really would. When, when, a new song is employed, it has to do a lot with the practices of what the Jewish people did, the Hebrew people did, um, in worshiping of their God. They would get into trouble and they would uh, form a lament. They would cry out to God in their time of need. When they cried out to God in their time of need, they would reflect back and declare the acts that God had done in the past. Typically, it has to do with creation and it has to do with with um, the uh, deliverance of God's people out of Egypt and into, into this freedom, right? Out of slavery of Pharaoh into freedom. And that God made covenant with them and made promises to them and that God is faithful to those promises. And look at how he did this in the plagues. Look at how he did this in the, the uh, parting of the Red Sea. And look at how he, he did this in the defeating of his, their enemies, and the, the lamenting person or the lamenting congregation would say, look, we're in need now. Look at what you had done in the past. And God, you've always been faithful. And, and we, we trust that you're going to act again. And when you act again, we're going to sing a new song. We're going to declare your praise in front of the congregation. We will praise you in the congregation. In other words, the confident expectation was because God has always been faithful in the past, he, we're confident that he's going to be faithful to us in the present, and he's going to act on our behalf. And because he acted on our behalf, we can actually sing a new song. We usually call these things testimonies, right? We come up and we talk about what God has done in our life, how God has worked something dramatic for us, how God has saved us. And when we hear those things, our faith is increased too, isn't it? God acted in the past, he's still acting today. I know he's acting today because I hear the testimonies of other people. 
One of the greatest privileges I thought when I was pastoring and as a ruling elder even is I get to hear more and more about God's work in people's lives. And if you're a part of a small group, you can, you can get the taste of that too. And it's so important that we hear those testimonies, that we sing new songs about how God has acted in the past. Based on what he's done in the past, we understand his character. Based on that character and what he's done, we can go to him and ask for help, and we can sing a new song. The psalmist says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. But then he goes on to talk about what this, these marvelous things are. He talks about um, who should then be praising God for them. And, and then uh, at, the, at the end, uh, we understand um, really... Uh, why we should be praising him. So we look at it, and what is this new song? What event is he describing that would be that new song for God's people? Well, I chose 98 because it's a weird one. Why not, you know? Actually, I chose it because the one I chose, Dan said I couldn't do. So I came up with my, this isn't my first choice, so blame Dan. Um, I'm teasing. Um, but why not, why not a, a unique one? So we see here that the, the new song has to do with the salvation of, that God brings to his people, but that that, good, that salvation is good news for all people, that the, the ones who are supposed to praise God are not just the people, but all of creation. And the reason is because God is the king, he's been enthroned, and God is going to come and judge us, judge the world. And that hasn't happened yet. Right? On our perspective, part of it has. It's partially been fulfilled in Jesus Christ who's, who, who died and rose again and ascended up to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he rules. He has been enthroned. He is our king. And that's good news. But he's also going to come again. He's going to come again. And that is also a source of our praise that he's going to set things right. So new acts require new songs, and this new act is, is the enthronement of God in the form of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that he is going to return again to judge the earth. So I want to look at the, the implications of this, of God's coming as king who is going to judge, right? In verse 6, it says, with trumpets and, and the sound of the horn, make joyful noise before the king, the Lord. And 9, it says... Um, that for he comes to judge the earth and he'll judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. All right. The first, verses one through three, we read that, that the implications of him coming as king has really been about the salvation of his people. He has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. And the Lord has made known his salvation, has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. So a couple things I want us to focus on here is this. Number one is, is that God is in control of salvation. 
I don't know if you, I mean, ponder that for a moment. All salvation for God's people have come because it is God who is working out the salvation. Only he, with his, as it's, he, it's uh, um, verse one says, his right hand and holy arm. This is a reference to his strength or his power. He is the one who has worked salvation for us. It's not you. Let me repeat that. It's not you. You didn't save yourself. You didn't muster up faith and somehow become saved because of what you just did. God is working out salvation and it is God's power and his might and his choice and his will to save his people. It's not you, it's God. And the second point to bring this about is this. He's very pleased with that. He's pleased to save you. He's so pleased that he'll make his works known to the nations, to the world. Now, I recall at times as a Christian being embarrassed by it. Have you ever experienced that? You're, you're around people who are not so Christian. And you say something. Hey, maybe we shouldn't do that. Why, are you a Christian? And in that little moment of time, you kind of feel a little embarrassed by it. Or as a friend one time said when I refused getting drunk uh, in high school, why? I said, I'm a Christian. He goes, so, weren't you the other times? God isn't embarrassed by saving us, nor is he embarrassed by you. He loves you and wills to save you and will work it out through his might and his power to save and so we praise him for that act. We don't sit here on Sundays coming and praising ourselves. We are the champions of our faith. No. Christ died on our behalf. Christ made it possible for our salvation. And this is good news. And it wasn't just good news for the house of Israel. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This salvation isn't just for the Jews or for the house of Israel. It was for all peoples. At one point, the prophet Isaiah says of the Messiah to come, it's not enough, it's not enough that he is going to rescue Judah or bring Judah and the house of Israel together again. But 
through him, he is going to be a light to the Gentiles that even the ends of the earth, all of us, can be part of God's people. Christ coming and working salvation for his people is good news for everybody, for all peoples, people groups, even us Germans slash Swedes. I don't even know what I am anymore. I'm a bunch of things. American. But it's not just good news for God's people or for, the, for peoples everywhere. It's good news for creation. We understand that when, when man fell, when our first parents sinned and we, we brought curses, not it just didn't affect us as human beings. It affected the whole planet. And the world has been subjugated to futility because of our sin. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans eight nineteen, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Right? And here we have this announcement that the seas shall roar and all that fills it. So it's not just, the, not just water bodies, but even the fish and the whales and everything can rejoice. The world and all that dwell in it, the animals, the dogs, the... I don't know if cats, I don't know about them, but dogs, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm te- but everything in it, the, the redemption, the salvation that is wrought by Jesus Christ isn't just for mere individual people. It's reversing of all these curses, which we sang, right? And joy to the world, far as the curse is found. Joy to the world, far as the curse is found. He rules the world and he's making things right. Let rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. I wonder what that sounds like. It'd be pretty cool. Finally, in the, in the implications is justice. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is good news, but it doesn't always sound like good news. So let me start with what doesn't seem like good news. Jesus is going to come and he is going to judge. And it is an inevitability and we can't escape it. It is so inevitable that even if you die... God is going to raise you back to life just so that you can be judged. God is a just God and he takes justice seriously. And here's a scary thought for you. God knows everything. And he's going to judge with righteousness. You can't hide from God. Those little lies you tell yourself to get through the day, they don't hold up. Your self-justifications, they won't work. 
all those excuses you have, they go away. You're going to be exposed. We all will. That, my friends, is frightening. It's frightening unless you know the judge. It's frightening unless you know the judge. If you know the judge, Jesus Christ, he'll also be your advocate. He'll defend you. And not only that, because we are guilty, and we all know we're guilty, and if we really think about it hard, we understand that we're a big problem. And that according to God's holy word, we deserve death and eternal separation from God. That judge has already taken our punishment for us. So how is it good news? It's good news because if we have come to him confessing our need seeking salvation from him and him alone, he gives it to us. And we can stand at judgment. We can stand at judgment because Christ is there for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? If he is the judge and our advocate, we're in a good spot. This hasn't happened yet. Christ has come. He's died. He's risen. He sits at the right hand. He judges the earth. And it's good and appropriate for us to continue to sing joy to the world every Christmas or 4th of July. But he can come any time. And I'd strongly urge you in the best way I possibly can, if you don't know Jesus, it would be good to be right with him before judgment. If you don't know how to do that, please talk to myself, talk to Dan, talk to one of the elders. We'd love to talk to you about that. But do it soon. If you're struggling right now as a Christian because you continue to um, fool yourself, believing the lies you tell yourself, living in self-justification, attempting not to change but demand that everyone else change and your circumstances change because you're resisting the Holy Spirit working in your life, you might want to do that now too. The reality is, is that you can't save yourself, but God can. I recall in high school, again, when I was struggling with a lot of things, I tried. I tried hard. And I kept failing and failing and failing, and I was so depressed, I figured that if God ever wanted me, he'd have to save me himself. Isn't that funny? I actually went to an altar call at a church camp, winter camp in 11th grade, and I went before the Lord, and I, just, and I said exactly that. I've tried God, and I keep failing. I can't do this. If you want me, you're going to you're have to do something. You're going to have to save me. Little did I know, I 
learned Orthodox theology just then. And by God's grace, I mean, I'm so thankful he saved me. God will do the same. God will save you. You just need to get out of the way. The context for this, and this is kind of the interesting thing, part of why I picked it. You know, in, in Israel, in the history of Israel, after, the exi- after they were uh, exiled into Babylon, um, this is about the time this psalm was written. And, the, and the, they always understood this psalm as prophetic. And uh, many of the Jewish uh, traditions or uh, groups in the world uh, will still sing Psalm 98 every single Sabbath. Every single Sabbath. Why would you sing this song every Sabbath? Why would this be such an important thing for the, historically for the people of God? And why would we sing it on a regular basis? Well, the reason is because when we look around, we often see that we are powerless. Things don't always seem to be going our way, do they? It sometimes feels to us as if um, God's not working so hard for our salvation. But he really is. To sing this psalm and to hear all the time that God is at work saving his people and that he remembers his steadfast love and faithfulness that our salvation is contingent not upon us but upon God's power and his steadfast love and faithfulness for his people it gives us hope not only does it give us hope it means that my struggles and my work are not in vain and neither are yours. God has a plan and a purpose. He's continuing to work them out. And when we're reminded of the fact that God is going to come, our king, and judge, it gives us motivation to keep going, to keep doing good, to keep serving others, to keep sharing the gospel, to not be ashamed of knowing Christ but to keep going. The church has historically sung Psalm 98 on Christmas. Joy to the world, we, we typically don't sing Psalm 98, but we typically sing Joy to the World, which is Isaac Watts' rendition of Psalm 98, reminding us that Jesus is the one who came and now reigns at the right hand of the Father, but he is going to come again. Finally, the context of July 4th. Why would I choose this for July 4th? Well, we have a lot, of, <clears throat> a lot of contention within our country. Uh, the two groups that get the most uh, news, you know, are the progressive left um, that sees the problems in the world and want to save it without a savior. They see the problems in the world and they want to do something different. The problem is, is that as they do this, deconstructing family, 
deconstructing sexuality, deconstructing economics, deconstructing history, deconstruct none of these things are going to ever lead to something positive. They need a savior. On the right, it's wishing we could go back to a world that was simpler, wishing we can go back to a modern world, make America great again, to conserve certain ideas or certain things. But that's not our task as Christians. When Paul spoke to the Philippians and said, reminded them that their citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This wasn't saying that you should forget about the world and not get involved with politics or something. Philippi was a Roman colony and uh, Caesar Augustus had given many of those uh, Philippians Roman citizenship. None of the Roman citizens in Philippi thought that, oh, I shouldn't get involved with stuff in Philippi because, you know, I'm going to someday go to Rome. The Philippian, the Roman who lives in Philippi understood that their task was to make Philippi more and more like Rome. That was their task. Right? They have a Roman Caesar who claimed to be savior of the world. And upon that Caesar's authority, they then made Philippi like Rome. And Paul reminds them, no, you have a savior in heaven and that's your citizenship. What does that mean for you as a Philippian Christian? Well, it's to just do what the prayer that Jesus taught us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a Christian citizen of the United States and heaven, my task isn't just simply to go back in time, nor is it to progress towards some utopian um, progressive future. Our task is to follow our King, our Lord and Savior who reigns at the right hand of the Father and that through the task, the vocations he's given to us as husband and father, as wife and mother, as, a, as, a, as teachers, as politicians, as uh, businessmen or women, or whatever God has called you to in this life, you are making it a little more like heaven. And it might feel fruitless at times, but remember... Christ sits at the right hand. He reigns. Our king reigns. And he's working salvation out for us. And it's marvelous. And he will come to judge. He will come to judge. And my prayer is that he finds us faithful. So God bless America. Only knowing that any of those blessings come through us in the church, doing what God has called us. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. I pray, God, for those in our, this room right now that are unsure of their salvation, perhaps 
They've been resisting you for a long time. Father, they now know that you will come and judge. I pray, Lord, that for those who are curious or stressed or seeking, you would prompt them even now to come and talk, that they might be saved by your strong hand. I pray, Lord, for our country that I know, I think we all understand it's in trouble. But Father, the only hope that our country has is you as king. And I pray that we as your people, we might act in ways, that we might live in ways, that we might pray in ways, that we might speak in ways that makes this America a little more like heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.